Welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Foreign Press Comics. Today, we're talking with John Westoff. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess to start us off, have you ever had an experience with a ghost? Uh, I believe, or at least when I was younger, I guess I believe maybe I, I've stopped since I've gotten older. Um, I, an old pull chain light in my basement, I swear to you, it turned like a different color and then went to regular and then I ran upstairs and when I came back down, it worked just fine. I swear it was like glowing orange or something. One of those pull chains in a scary old, you know, unfinished yeah. basement. And uh, I, I swear, yeah, my, my sister said, you know, she would tell me stories like people were buried in the walls and stuff. So yeah, maybe, maybe that uh, manipulated my mind to see something that wasn't there. I don't know, but yeah, I certainly no, did suspect I mean, it was a ghost at the time. <laughs> so, so you, but you're open to it. You're open to the possibilities of, of the supernatural. Um, so you, but so you have um, one of your comics that you have coming out pretty soon is um, probably July. It's currently available for pre-order on. Um, is that on parttimecomics.com? We are um, storenvy.com forward slash parttimecomics. I knew I got that wrong, and it's part-time comics with an X, correct? And it is part-time comics with an X. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I got one thing right. I got something right. Um, but one of those is um, CPS, uh, Child Possession Services. I keep wanting to say Child Protective Services, but I think that's the point. Um, I'm glad that my question tied into that. Um, where did the idea kind of for um, CPS come about? Was that you or was it, I know that you worked with um, someone, uh, someone you, you're not the only person credited with the um, story on that one. Correct. Uh, my longtime collaborator, Bob Gar Ornelas, I, I worked with him. We, we co-published through Kingbone Press for about 10 years. Uh, we're working together again on this new venture. And yet yeah, you, you already hit the nail on the head. The, the real uh, inspiration for the story was working with Child Protection Services. And actually, CPS is also in Chicago, uh, an acronym for Chicago Public Schools. So mm. it, that's where my base starts. I'm a social worker by trade. Okay, but um, I wasn't necessarily sure if people would, would just read about day to day social work stuff. So I kind of sandwiched it into uh, what do I find interesting about the world of child services and how can I make it a little more interesting? And then Bob and I were able to come up with the idea of uh, child possession services. No, and, um, I, I read the the um, preview of it and it's it's really good. Do you want to go ahead and give people kind of a you already did a pretty good job of um, kind of giving a general idea. It's a social worker, but there's more to it. Um, do you want to give a little more detail as far as what it's about? Yeah, so it's it's definitely it's based on Earth, but it's it's a world where it, demonic possessions are, are a lot more common. Uh, so common, in fact, that, of course, you know, our response to it is to make poorly run and underfunded government programs <laughs> to help with it. Um, so it, it, in that way, it's, you know, day to day life. But there's this uh, supernatural twist to it and that people still have to work and people still learn how to function with it. But, uh, you know, they've, they've deemed that demonic possession is not allowed for for persons under 18. And Connie Dar is our main uh, character and she's kind of been in the field for a while and things haven't worked out as well as she, as she wanted like a lot of us in our careers and she's kind of just to the point where she's kind of burnt out and done with her career and that's where the story picks up uh she's she's been in the field for a few years and and she's still 
you know, she's got to go to work. She's got to make a living. Uh, but, you know, she works with human beings and, you know, demons and things like that uh, every day. It, it's it sounds a lot like um, I mean, I don't want to assume anything, but I mean, there's definitely a lot of you in this uh, in, in, in both in the story and in Connie as a character. Um, I, I mean, I guess that's true. I assume. Yeah, that's definitely true. There's definitely, um, and, and I worked on another project with Bob that was, it's very similar. We like to think of it in the same universe called Apocalypse Myth, which again was very similar. A lot of my experiences in working in human services kind of went into this. And, and also Connie herself is very much based on the wonderful women that I worked with in the field of social services. So um, that was kind of how she, she came to be as well. So, so there's a little bit of me and a little bit of uh, some of my great uh, coworkers that I've met over the years. Oh, and I mean, that's, that's definitely, um, you know, it's the good, that's a good start to any story, but I will say from what I read, I really, there's a, the story does a good job of, it feels, even though what I read, I don't think was the full story. I don't think I got the full 44 page um, version of it, but it was still very fleshed out, even for something so short, which is a really good sign. Um, uh, so um, you said you have, or sorry, I'm going to cut some of this out because this is garbage. Um, do you, um, I, I guess I really um, kind of, I'm a, I'm a school teacher. I've said that before. And I feel like, I mean, social worker school, there's, there's similarities in those fields as far as, you know, working with um, people and people, especially people who may don't have all the same things as you. And, you know, there's, there's, I just feel like there's similarities. I don't, can't really think right now of anymore because I'm not very smart, but um, so it seems like in an ideal world, you know, sometimes possession would be, it would be like, I wish that was the answer. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Meaning you wish that was uh, an option for people to escape or, or, <laughs> or just like, I wish that like you, I assume in your job, do you deal with kids as well? Or is it what, what exactly is, I mean, yes, for, for most of my career. And actually I, most of it, I worked in inpatient psychiatry with children, uh, children mm -hmm. who admitted to hospitals, you know, for, for psychiatric emergency. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I've worked with kids a while. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess, so I guess what I meant by that was like, when I see like certain kids and like their home lives and their family lives. And like, I wish that we could just chalk it up to, Oh, it's a possession. It can be fixed with just tears and exorcism, but then there's all these, but in real life, there's all these other factors to it. So in a way it's almost, almost seems like an ideal, not ideal, but cause obviously we don't want, you know, children to get possessed and like, there's a lot of blood and stuff in the comic, but I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, it just feels like, it feels like a good cop-out, I guess. Sure. In real life. And honestly, you know, when I started my career, I, I, I felt like I wish a lot more situations where I could come in and say, the person has this disorder, they'll take this medication in six months, they'll be better. Uh, and, and that is kind of the heart of the book as well. Even though, you know, we're dealing with demonic possession, I don't, I, I, it's definitely about more than that. And, and we get into that again. I, I apologize. I, I cheap skated out on you and only gave you the preview copy, but no, you're fine. I'll definitely, I'll definitely be sure to send you over the full thing because yes, we definitely, we start to get into that. And I hope as the series goes on, we'll see a lot more about uh, life in general 
because yeah, we, we do wish it, it was it was that easy as, as pulling a demon out and everyone was happy, but that's definitely not what happens in the book either. <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate everything you just said because you put into words the things that I very obviously struggled to say right there. Like <laughs> I couldn't do it, but you perfectly said what I wanted to about, um, you know, that I, I wish that I could just say, oh, this kid, well, it's because his, you know, because X, Y, Z happened at home. All we have to do is, change that thing and look now it's perfect and the world's great again and he's a perfect student but obviously that's not the way the world works like you dealing with stu- uh, with children with like certain disorders or certain psychiatric needs like you wish there were certain things and that like I said that's just perfectly that's what I was trying to say and you're a much more eloquent man than me because I obviously vi- very obviously failed at that um, well, give yourself some credit my my job is to listen and to reframe what people say so that they uh can explore their feelings and things like that so that's that true. is my job <laughs> yeah maybe maybe this is the conversation i needed someone to just like me to just babble and someone to like translate for me i think um so you have this and then also um available for for pre-order you have on the stack which is a zine for um dedicated to magic gathering i believe that's correct uh, a little just a tiny bit more lighthearted than uh yeah yeah a little bit um if i'm being honest (laughs) i I would hope so i mean i don't think that you can get super i mean you could get super serious but i mean i feel like you know talking about something like um magic the gathering or anything like that that's it's going to be a lot more lighthearted. um so what i guess um what why a zine specific like a like is there a reason like we went with you went with that or I don't know, as opposed to doing a comic or just a full anthology or anything like why that? I appreciate you asking. Um, It started as a comic, had a couple buddies. uh, It's a lot of my comics start with, you know, it's friends, you know, hey, let's kind of jam together, make a story, make some comics. We got a couple people together. I was actually approached by someone I met in a a Twitch chat of of a player playing Magic the Gathering that I watch quite often named Frank Lepore. I met an artist in there. I bought some of his comics, loved his work. He actually approached me and said, hey, you're into comics. You make comics. Let's get together. But he ended up doing the cover for us, Tim Gadke. Mm-hmm. So out of that conversation with him, I said, well, you know, my buddy Harry plays Magic. We've played before, and he's great at comics. My buddy Tim and John play make comics, and they're great. Oh, let's get together and make a comic. But then I started to realize there was so many other people that expressed their love for Magic through different art that... I decided for the first time since I've started, I mean, I've bought many zines. I've gone into shops like Quimby's in Chicago and all these, you know, great shops in Chicago where you can get these like handmade zines about, you know, punk rock. And I don't know, I bought one about um, uh, people who suffer from migraines and all these cool people who make zines. I said, you know what, why haven't I, I've never done that. I've never really invited people outside of the sphere of comics to create something, you know, with me. So I just kind of put some feelers out there on Twitter reached out to some other people I know who write prose and other things. And that's where, you know, Megan and Tim and, and Zabrakis and, and um, all these other people, just you know, Wesley and his brother, uh, Brad, you know, I just realized I have all these people around me who do awesome representations of art and magic. Let's, let's just make a zine out of it then instead of, instead of just a traditional anthology comic. Yeah. I, I, I think that's actually really a really good point because I kind of fall into that habit sometimes of just thinking you know because I make comics and thinking that um if you make comics it's like you just like 
only comic art, but there's so many other things that people of people portraying love for the same ideas and the same stories and same characters, movies, whatever that are not doing comics. They might be doing prose. They might be doing um, other sorts of things. Um, I mean, there, there's just so much more out there that we tend to, um, you know, shut off. Um, but I, so I assume you were, I gather you were a, I gather you were a Magic <laughs> the Gathering player. Yes, you myself. got it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been playing for ooh, over 20 years on and off. Uh, yeah. Like comics, you know, everybody takes breaks and comes in and out. I think at times Magic is no different. Mm-hmm. But I've is been that... pretty heavily back into it for about eight years. And okay. uh, yeah, just just kind of meeting people who crossed over. I was like, you know what? Let's yeah. kind of bring this together and make something cool. Has has Magic always been your like game of choice? Or were there other like so other, you know, similar card games or other things that kind of uh, piqued your interest? Definitely my game of choice. I've tried a few. Um, Hearthstone comes to mind um, very briefly. But yeah, Magic has just always kept my interest. It, it just has, you know, the mechanics in the gameplay that I really enjoy. So I, I've always kind of mm-hmm. been with that one. I mean, for me, Magic was too hard. I, tr- I tried it. I, tr- I, tr- I, I found a whole stack of cards at a thrift store when I was a kid. Didn't know what they were. Thought they looked cool. And mm-hmm. then we in high school, me and like a friend tried to get into it. We didn't know anybody else who played it just like two of us and like it was just too complicated and so then we went back to Yu-Gi-Oh for like two months and then we got out of Yu-Gi-Oh but um I mean <laughs> it is very complicated yeah it's, I, I, I had a similar experience in high school where we didn't we thought we knew the rules we didn't and then later when we actually learned the rules we were like oh wow we've been playing wrong for years but yeah it yeah, is a I very mean, complicated game which is it's part of what keeps you in long term but I could definitely see up front it's 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 a little overwhelming oh well and yeah and I can I imagine that's a lot like um like, you know, any game, like I'm just thinking of like my childhood games, like I said, Yu-Gi-Oh! or like Pokemon, where you can play them as a kid with your friends and like just do the super basic version. And then when you get older, you know, in Pokemon, that's when I quit Pokemon. I guess this says a lot about me because I quit all the games when they, people started to get really into them and they got complicated. <laughs> like I was just down to like just play on my game and build the strongest Pokemon team that I could or like mm-hmm. just build the best Yu-Gi-Oh! deck. But then when people got too into like pairing cards up and all that sort and like like ev training and all those things i don't understand what they mean to this day and i'm 24 years old and i don't get it like (laughs) that's when it got too complicated that's when i quit but so i I mean but magic i mean can you even play it at a simple way really or is it kind of just complicated from the jump it is complicated there's a lot of rules and text so if you just grab a stack of cards you may not know they definitely make uh, some beginner friendly things and like i have kids now who play you know, nine and seven years old, they've been playing with me for a couple of years. And I think you have to kind of tune it down for the, for the newer players, you know, keep the complicated mechanics out, give them the cards that attack block, you know, maybe do some cool things to, to get them interested. But, you know, my son wants to play with dinosaurs, dragons, you know, yeah, uh, beasts, stuff like that. That that's what gets him excited. So that's what I present to him. I don't sit down with my, you know, thousand dollar, you know, deck that, you know, can win on turn. You know, I don't, I don't do that to him yet. Yeah, <laughs> maybe as he gets older, but yeah, yeah I think for sure. we need to be uh, friendlier to to newer players. Magic could do a lot more to bring in. Oh, there is an yeah. online game for it. Finally, after like twenty five years, which I think really helps, and has like some you you get paired up against people at similar ranking online, so that really helps. Um, you don't I've have been to meaning, come down with the is it the is that the what, the mobile one arena? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've thought about it, but I don't know. For for me, I'm like I'm just a very tactile person. Like I don't. I don't really do digital comics very much. I don't do like, 
I, I'm just, I want the hands-on. Like I, like I said, Yu-Gi-Oh was a big thing for me when I was a kid. So like, I tried to get into that, the mobile version of that. And it just wasn't the same, like as yeah. collecting the cards. And so like, I try, I, I've thought about trying the magic game, but no, I, I agree with what you said. Like a lot of those games, I mean, the typical tip the games that would be, that are typically considered nerdy, like, um, you know, your magics and your, all the car, all those card games, your D and D, um, Pathfinder, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Like even me as a nerd, a self-professed <laughs> nerd, even as a nerd, I, I, and as someone with anxiety, like I'm still scared. Like I have a shop in my town that I think still plays like tournaments and stuff, but it's just nerve wracking to go in there. And like, I don't really know what else they could do to be more friendly to new people. Cause they're not off putting the couple of times I've been in there, but like, you know, it's just, I don't know. It, it does. It's all those sorts of things. It feels like there is a barrier to entry that I guess really isn't there, but we well, just assume it I is. think it's real. I think, um, you know, there's something about games and, and playing, you know, in competition, it's not for everybody, even at 40, you know, I'll sit down across from a 15 year old and he'll be, you know, rude to me in the game. And I, I think about it long after he's, he moves on and I'm like, man, why did that kid say that? I should have cussed him out, you yeah. know, s- something about the interaction, but yeah, then there's the rules. There, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. I mean, give yeah. yourself credit. it's not easy just to sit down and be like, Hey, I'm going to invest money and time and, and everything into this, into well, this game. And then maybe it won't even go as, as well as I thought, or I, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, like I said, I've even wanted to get into like, just like D and D or Pathfinder and like, even that, and I don't have to buy anything for that. Right. I just need a piece of paper. And like, and even that's like just very, very scary, very intimidating to me. Um, but to go back to comics, um, you said you've been, you've been doing this for a while. You said you worked for a little bit with your friend at doing at Kingbone. Is that what you said? Yeah. Kingbone press was, was his um, label for putting out his own self-published comics. And I was fortunate enough, you know, 12 or so years ago, in the days of uh, uh, forums on the internet, on a comic book forum called the 11 o'clock comics podcast, he and I met, I just posted, Hey, I'm interested in writing my first ever story. Would anybody be interested in working with me? And, and, and we've worked with each other since we've just really gotten along well. And we kind of have this, a similar philosophy in what we want to do. Uh, you know, things kind of came to an end with King bone press. We, we expanded a little too much, invited, you know, a lot of people to work with us. And so I've kind of paired it back now, but, yeah, I had a lot of good experience with Bob. And again, we still work together today. So, well, I mean, so that and now part-time comics, like I, I guess just for my edification as someone who's trying to do what sounds like a similar thing over at Foreign Press Comics, like what, like how, how do you go about bringing new people into that? Cause so, well, just because there's like a don't, sorry to interrupt you just, but no, just to clarify my question, like there's a, there's a like you said you don't want to bring in too many people and get like you know get it overcrowded oversaturated because you want to keep the um message or keep the content still very you you know what i mean like you want to keep it on brand but Mm -hmm. you also want to um you know have other people share their voices and like me I, i just want to let other give other people an opportunity to share their stuff like as independent comics, we, we don't have a lot of just like chances. I don't feel like that. I mean, you have to reach for everything, but I want to just be another avenue for people to share their work. And that's part of what I think the podcast is helping me do. But I mean, so what, how do you go about that? 
Well, again, I was fortunate at the time we, we had a pretty decent community um, on the 11 o'clock comics forum. And then through the early days of social media, was able to make some connections with people that I, again, still continue to work with so many of them to this day. I think part of it is just out there meeting and greeting exactly what you're doing, you know, invite people on your podcast, you know, you talk to them, maybe six months later, they say, Hey, Kyler, you know, I, I got this book, you know, you want to work on an anthology together. I think a lot of it is just about connecting with people. I mean, obviously you can approach, you know, working artists and say, you know, I have this script, um, you know, would you read it, pay them? I've, I've done that as well too. And that's great. But I think you're starting with the, on the right foot. And that's definitely how we started. Uh, part of uh, one of our biggest projects when we first started with Kingbone Press was a, a huge anthology for that comic book forum. It was called Low Concept. And, and I think we had like 23 people contribute. And that was such an important part for me because I was exactly like you. I, I got that sense that people wanted to produce work but didn't really know how to take the first step. So I saw myself as well. My, maybe my role is to help see this project through because they had tried several times to do one and you know people don't follow through on deadlines or things happen so I said let me be the person who tries to put this book together even though I really didn't know much about photoshop at the time or lettering and all that stuff but we put it together and we came out with this book and when it was released people were very excited we did a crowdfunding so that was kind of where I really got the itch to really help other people and again that's what we did we brought many people over the years we did a music themed anthology we did you know, like a Dark Horse Presents spoof called Kingbone Presents. And, and and that was fun and great, you know, for that stage. Now I'm kind of selfishly kind of retracting a little bit. I'm ready to kind of focus on my own stuff. But I think that's a good attitude to start with if you're getting into comics. How can I work with other people and help each other rather than just say, well, I'm just going to go around and shop my scripts and hope somebody draws it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. That probably works for, for a lot of young writers, but I would say it's better to say, who, who can I connect with? And then you'll see how those connections grow over the next, you know, three, five, 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what you were just saying was kind of a struggle for me as far as like, um, you know, I, trying to identify yourself between the quote unquote brand and the, um, and yourself because like my social medias are all foreign press comics, but I have, I want, I still am trying to find a balance between what is tweeting. Cause like, I don't keep my own personal Twitter account anymore. Cause I don't, I don't care, but um, it like, there's a balance between how much do I tweet of my opinions and how much of it is no, this is a brand. And yeah. you know what I mean? So there's, there, it's a hard balance to find that I'm, struggling with um and i i still struggle with it you know this many years in um i've been in bands before as well so I, I think that that's difficult i think when you're a one person show um you know i i would say in my opinion i think it's okay you know to have your own opinion on there again you do want some professionalism you want to yeah. want to put a brand out there but that was something like bob and i he kind of checked me on that early he said you know you're kind of making jokes with people on the, the company account but it's not just you like you they don't know if it's me talking and he was right. But I think when it's just you, I know I'm pretty close with the, the guy from uh, 215 Inc. We, we've known each other for years, Mike Perkins. And he very much treats his like that because he's it's a one man show now. He, he can just be himself on there. They know it's Mike talking. So, yeah, I think it just depends. If you start bringing in other people, you don't know that. I think my other advice would be. I wasn't as professional as far as like contracts and expectations and, and deadlines and things early on. And I think if you're going to bring people in, you let them know, Hey, 
I'm going to put out your book, but you know, your compensation is a couple copies or a few dollars or whatever. But beyond that, you know, um, you're free to put your story wherever, but you know, I'm bringing you in as somebody I want to work with, but you know, foreign press is, 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 you know, I, I have the kind of the final say in it. So, so I guess comfortable, but I think it's something you have to do. Yeah. I guess, I mean, at this point, I'm not just helping myself, I'm helping anyone else. So I'm giving, um, you know, more, I'm helping my enemies, I guess. Um, <laughs> not that there are enemies. I mean, there are, I mean, there's people, you know, who I see on social media and like, I have a, you know, a subconscious feeling of competition with them, you know, like, ah, oh, they put out another book. I got to put it more now. I got to keep going. But like, it's not, re- it's not like, it's not hatred, you know, it's not any real negative feelings, but what, what types of things are you like, do you, how do you get people to buy into wanting to participate in your brand? Cause that's something I've tried to, I've had to deal with was like, just saying, Hey, I put on like on Reddit on certain, the comic book collabs group there. And I've put in other groups online and been like, Hey, um, I had this thing. Um, I, want to you know if you have a book that you want or a, even a web comic like i will you can put it it'll be under my inner under my like brand i say brand very loosely but <laughs> i mean it'll be there but it'll be your work and you'll have all the rights to it and like i mean i've had people sign contracts but it's still hard to get people to you know buy in because i can't really like i can't afford to be printing out just books for everyone you know what i mean like, yeah. how do you, what do you, what is there to offer people? Like, do you, pr- do you print all their books? Like if someone, if, you know, Joe Schmo came over to you and said, Hey, I have this book. It's called, um, whatever. Can I like, can it be part of your brand? Like, what do you offer them? So that, I mean, that's great too. That's, that's something. And part of the reason, um, that I kind of branched off on my own was because of that, because I wanted to have more control over that. I do want to pay my collaborators. I'm at that point in my career where I feel like I can, um, you know, fund them and, and get at least, you know, some compensation, a few dollars, a few copies of the book, you know, things like that. But earlier on, it wasn't, it wasn't as clear about that. Um, I think people approach me just because they, they enjoyed seeing their work in, in print. And what you can offer them is, um, uh, you know, promotion. Again, you know, we may not, ha- you may not have the hugest brand now, but over time, you know, hey, you're part of, you know, a publishing company, however small, it's still great, especially for a lot of young creators uh, or newer creators. So I think that, um, you know, keeping organized mailing lists, helping them get the books out there, uh, get the books out for review, um, talking about them on your podcast. We all have things that we can offer to other people. We may not have, you know, I don't know, the the, the, the advertising budget of image or the you know, be able to put their books immediately on Comixology, but that does, some of that comes in time. You know, you'll make connections with shops and you'll make connections with other podcasts. And, you know, you may find that uh, you'll have more, um, more to offer as, as you put out more and more books, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. It's just, um, you know, it's like I said, it's just something that I struggle, especially because I really can't print a lot. Like I, you know, I, I printed my own book, only one of them all out of pocket. And then I was planning to go to a con this summer and I decided not to, cause it just wasn't going to be worth the money, but mm-hmm. um, I was going to print out another book for the one, like one of two people who's like actually taken a chance on like when I put that ad out and said, Hey, does anyone have a book? And it was Ian Vanderwalt. And he has this book called sleep sister sleep. It's on my website that you can buy digitally, but I mean, I wish I could print it. I really do. And 
I, like I said, I was about to print it for this con. I, but I just, I ended up not going to the con. That's not why, but I mean, it was kind of, I guess it was part of the reason, but um, so do you, do you think that this is based on kind of what you were just talking about and something you said a while ago about um, how you were, you know, getting on social media kind of early on it? I mean, is it overcrowded now? Like, do you feel like it's the comics community is like there's too much or like, or is it, is it because I mean, having people be interested is a good thing. So I don't mean like, is there too many people in general, but is there too many people to really get those same benefits? Do you think? I mean, that's hard for me to say. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it definitely feels harder to reach my kind of core audience, you know, that I've built up over the years, you know, with the algorithms and things like that. Again, I felt like back in the comic forum days, um, you know, I could, I could post and, and, you know, 75 people would see it that day and, and, you know, 50 of them would back our project or whatever. Now it's kind of, it feels a little bit more nebulous. It's like you're throwing things into the void and then people will tell you six months later, Oh, you had a book out. Like I didn't see that. So it is, it is a bit more challenging, but again, some of it comes with time. You know, you, you kind of start to have genuine interactions with people um, and you start to get in their, uh, you know, their regular contacts you get again you get people on your email list that are checking in on you you're on a facebook group or two you start to find different ways to uh, to get to the same result that maybe maybe was a little easier 10 years ago i i don't know for sure if it was or, or i was just young and naive and excited i don't know <laughs> no, i mean like like i mean yeah you're right there is not really a you know a specific answer especially i mean i bet there is if you've you know have done a lot of a lot of research on that specifically but i mean it's, I mean, I think what you said was a good answer. I mean, there's, there's not really anything better I think that you could say. Um, what, what exactly, as far as um, you writing, I mean, is this a, how do you write like CPS is, you, it's collaborative with you and Bob, how, how exactly does that process go? Well, with him, you know, again, we've been working together a long time, so it's, it's pretty easy in, in this case, CPS started as as a short he needed um he wanted uh, he was doing an anthology and he wanted a short story and i kind of threw out oh i have this idea for the short you know it was kind of a half half tongue-in-cheek joke about bob really loves the character constantine mm-hmm. who i think we'll talk about in a little bit um mm-hmm. and i kind of made i was like oh i have this female constantine her name's constantina you know it was kind of it was really a tongue-in-cheek joke and he said john like if i'm going to draw this can we like make it into like you know an actual story Here, here's her backstory and i was like you know this is why it's great to have long-term collaborators because he kind of brought me back down there and said you know i think you actually have a decent idea here what if we made her you know uh of indians descent what if we you know made her powers based on you know that kind of mythology and and he he really took it and that's you know, of course why i give him story writing credit he wrote a lot of the the story in there so it was natural with him with other people, I've handed them a script and said, you know, what do you think? And they give me little feedback and they say, you know, I'll, I'll draw what you wrote. And that's okay, too. Uh, so you'll find that with different collaborators, I think you have to be open to it. At least that's what I've learned. I always leave space for them. I never say, again, we'll talk about in a minute. And I'm not Alan Moore. I'm not going to write 50 paragraphs for one panel and say, do exactly what I say or, and do nothing else. I always leave it open. And I, I've just felt like that, that works the best especially if they're collaborating with you for free or, or, you know, you're creating something together, you want them to have space to have their, you know, their uh, ideas and things like that on the page too. Definitely. Um, and so 
I guess one kind of, I guess, last question, and it's, it's kind of a big question. Um, I mean, what is your idea of success look like in comics or yeah, I get, yeah, sure. Stick with that. Um, like I said, that's a big question. Survival? So, I mean, feel if, you, <laughs> yeah. if you have something else you want to. Oh, I think that's a great question. I think it's something we don't talk about enough. Um, you know, my, my opinion of what's successful is going to be different than yours. Right. Yeah. And, and I think um, I, in a lot of the, the good like writing groups and things I'm in they're the groups that I, I find I connect to a- ask these kind of questions and, and reflect on them. Success doesn't mean I had a $25,000 Kickstarter. It would be great. Um, you know, I could fund a lot of comics with that. To me, success is, is being able to pay my collaborators, uh, you know, something that they feel like is fair and being able to fund the books, you know, without going into my own pocket. I think that that's success for me. Uh, even CPS, we had 155 backers. That's success to me. I don't need to have 10,000 people buy the book. We had a, a shop in New York buy a few copies of the book. That was success to me. So my career, like long-term, I would say over the next five to 10 years, you know, would just be really, really finding that, you know, a core group of say maybe a hundred of my audience, maybe more uh, that regularly buy the books. That would be, you know, a great feeling to be able to put out a book and just know, you know, that a hundred or so people are going to enjoy it and buy it, whatever I put out, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think that's a really good answer. Like you said, it's, it's different for everyone. I remember that's in high school. That's one of the assignments that are, I had the same English teacher my junior and senior years. And that's one of the assignments he gave us both times was what is success to you? And it was, it was interesting to see everyone's different answers. Cause like you said, everybody has a different, a different opinion on it. And what I may see as success, someone else may see as, you know, may not. And so it's, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very nebulous idea. And I think that's um, a really good deal. Um, yeah, and I don't try to, you know, obviously being a social worker, you know, people's feelings and opinions are their own uh, based on a lot of different factors in their life. But I do know that sometimes we very much narrow in on, I want to write Spider-Man and that unfortunately very few people get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I, it's kind of like the, um, like the, just like the kid who grows up and says, I want to grow join the NFL. And like, if you look at the numbers, like there's only 32 teams, there's 50 right. some players, a squad that the numbers are against you. Like Spider, there's only one Spider-Man or there's, you know, only two or three Spider-Man books out at a time. And they come out once a month. So statistically. Yeah. I think if we set more realistic goals for ourselves, I think a lot of people would be less disappointed. Uh, they, they'd be more, um, you know, fulfilled in their life. Like if my goal 10 years ago was to write comics, I'm doing that. And comics op- offers you the opportunity of if you work hard enough, it's one of the few entertaining medium- mediums where you, you can be like, if I make the, I don't know, the amazing cockroach, he, he would be on the shelf next to the amazing Spider-Man. If I work hard enough and, 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 and I hone my talent and I work with good people, comics are one of the few where you, you know, you may not be in every shop across the globe, but you know, maybe I get, you know, 300 shops to buy, you know, my amazing cockroach comic. And then it's sitting there right next to my idol, amazing Spider-Man, you know, it, co- comics offers you an opportunity to, to have success where other entertainment mediums do, don't. But again, if you sit down and say, I'm going to write the best Batman story, you may not get there. Uh, you may end up disappointed. So if I just say, I want to write comics, I can do that. I, I really, I really like that, that just that everything's different. And like you said, you can, I mean, every, I guess that is a good thing about comics is like you said, the idea of shops, like I have a book that I sold, I gave them, I sold them 10 copies 
of my the one book that I've ever printed. And mm -hmm. like, I mean, I went in there the other day, or I mean, this is a couple months ago now, and there were still like probably eight or nine copies on the shelf. But I mean, it was still cool to know that they were still there on the shelf. Like it, that they were to know that they were on a shelf in a comic shop. Like I can't describe that feeling of walking out of that store, like knowing with like $20 in my hand, knowing that I had just sold someone copies of my book. Like I wanted to like jump up and like <laughs> act like a crazy person, but like I had to act really chill. Yeah, I was sure. walking back to my car, like, oh my God, 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 oh my God. But in, in, but you know, out, I just, outside, I just walked back cool, you know, but it's, it was a very, it's a very cool feeling. And like I said, it was very small scale, very small. But yeah. I mean, that feeling still felt like success. So, I mean, I guess that, I, that makes me feel a lot better about myself. It was success. It was success. And then the fact that somebody else bought it from the shop is a success. You, you, you have to enjoy those moments and don't lose sight of that. I, I, I remember the first time we sold. Actually, I think we donated a great shop, Challengers Comics in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And just seeing it physically on the shelf, we, we weren't going to make any money off it. But they were like, oh, if you're going to donate these, we're going to put them right on the new release shelf right next to, I think it was Remind was out at the time and a couple other cool graphic novels. And, you know, actually that picture just popped up in my feed this week from 10 or 11 years ago. And it was still cool. So yeah. don't, don't lose sight of that. That That is success. Of course you know, would we all like to live a little easier and, you know, sell a million copies? Yeah. And, and some of us will get there. Not all of us will, but you still have to enjoy those little moments along the way. Otherwise, what's it worth? Exactly. And I, I think that, I think you really just hit the nail on the head. Um, and I guess, I mean, that feels like as good a place as any to um, head into the book club. So with that, we're going to take a really quick break. Fletcher Cross The Multiverse Awaits is now available on Kickstarter for pre-launch. That means you can go there, click the button that says notify me on launch, and when we launch on August 3rd, you'll be notified and you'll be notified of any updates to the campaign as we go. If you're wondering what the story is about and haven't heard it yet, Fletcher Cross is an egotistical engineer who doesn't feel that he gets the credit he deserves in his job at Day Industries, so he steals their greatest invention, the Dimensionalizer. But when the machine goes haywire, Fletcher is sent on a series of misadventures through the multiverse, all while he tries to find his way home. So please click the link in the episode description or on any of our social media accounts. The more people who get notified on launch, the more chances our campaign has of succeeding and the more chances we have of getting this book made. Thank you for all your support and remember to get notified when Fletcher Cross The Multiverse Awaits launches on Kickstarter this August. Okay, and we're back and today we are talking about Saga of the Swamp Thing by Alan Moore, right? That's what yeah. Have you read the whole thing? All of it? I I have. I read all six volumes, I think, twice. I have uh, had it in a couple of various versions, but now I have the, the Sweet Sweet Absolutes that they put out recently for the new DC Black Label. But I've only read through it twice, as much as I enjoy it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, 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 I've owned them for quite a while. I've just, they've been sitting on my shelf, the six, all six volumes. And I, I started to read um, the anatomy lesson at one point, and it just for whatever reason, I did, couldn't get into it. But then I just, this time I just forced myself to like stick with it and get through it. And then it like, it really started to, started to hit. So um, go ahead and uh, start us off with your thoughts. And then I have, you know, I have some notes for, like I said, full disclosure, I've only finished the first four volumes. Um, I'm about halfway through the fifth one, but um, also there will be spoilers, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was uh, in my late 20s when I first came around to it, too. It was not a character that was really on my radar when I was younger. I was definitely more of a Marvel fanatic. And I was actually 
doing a podcast with Bob Gar, and he was you know, he's a huge Swamp Thing fan, and uh, he you know he said you know let's why don't you read it talk about it on the show, and I'm glad that he pushed me towards it. Swamp Thing it is a hard book to get into. You could definitely feel the um, the growing pains in the first few issues. Uh, probably you could guess related to you know publishing and you know he was relatively an, an unknown writer at the time, and and you know you could see he had some big ideas, but you got to give it it's it's monthly publishing in in in, in the eighties. You got to give it some time, and then you know they can cancel it any second. So you definitely got the sense that he was writing you know shorter stories, and then the kind of a bigger story came out of it. And and I'm so glad that he got to see it through. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's a strange book. I don't know if it'd be something I'd give to a brand new reader because it, it, it is, a, it, it's, it's, I like to think of it in that context of the time it came out. It must've just been so strange to pluck it off the shelf because it was, it definitely seems like it wasn't like anything at that time and, and maybe even yeah. still stands still. He's just such a unique character. And then Alan Moore just, you know, he found a way to, to really nail the character and, and, and all the side characters and, bring in yeah. different things i mean i definitely agree with what you said like it just it's nothing like any of the even though i mean all comics from like the 80s tend to tend to be at least to me or not all but a lot of them tend to be a little slower you know a little bit harder to read but that's just that's just because of how you know how we have comics now mm-hmm. you know just the style has changed and so they're all hard, but this seems especially difficult. Like it's very, it's very wordy. It's very, mm-hmm. um, it's very uh, dense, you know, it's just in a lot of that, that's both Alan Moore's writing and that's um, Stephen Bissett. I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's his art. And then later, I think Rick, Rick Veach, Veach. Yep. He gets on to his artist a few times, but yeah, yeah, most was Bissett and Veach and John Tottlebond's inks. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, and so the the all of that together all makes it like I said, just dense is the best word that I can think of to describe it. It's just very full of stuff, which in a good way, in a, in a really good thing, way. right? He feels very dense, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I like I haven't been a really big like Alan Moore reader. I I've read Watchmen and I read this, and this is the thing that like convinced me that one, the two of them must have been on so many drugs like i'm <laughs> jealous so many they had to but the real this is that's like half joking but no this is the book that like after i read this i was like oh i i get why people say alan moore is a wizard like i understand it now that makes sense he that he yeah. is he's definitely a wizard like definitely <laughs> it fits so like perfectly yeah but like i mean this is when i think of alan moore like as a writer this is even having never read it, this is exactly the type of stuff that I thought of when I thought of Alan Moore. Yeah. And Before I, I ever read it. it I definitely think go ahead. even more than Watchmen, I think this would be one where you would hand people and go, yeah, do you want a taste of what Alan Moore? And, and yeah. I'm not, it, to be honest with you, I've been reading since I was 11 years old and, and I've only read three or four Alan Moore books myself. He, he, he can be a little bit intimidating too. So, mm-hmm. but yes, I think this one definitely fits it fits that his uh, persona very well <laughs> yeah um i guess what were some of your like highlights of the series i guess or things that he that alan moore did or a direction he took swamp thing what, what were kind of some of your um uh what are some of the things that you thought really work really well well 
sometimes it's difficult when you go back and reread something, will it hold, you know, the same excitement you had at whatever point in life you read it. So honestly, when I was rereading it, I was worried that maybe I had just built this nostalgia in my mind, but rereading it, it definitely made me feel, I'd, I'd like that. It's this weird horror romance superhero. It's just this weird amalgamation. And I just love the arc of him and Abby and they're just lovers in the swamp. And there's like a particular issue where, you know, she's sitting on the rock in the moon, you know, is in the background. And I just wish I could have that page. Cause that that's when I think of swamp thing, I just think of that. Like he's just this creature. That's the essence of Alec Holland, which is what he kind of changed it into, but he's in love with this woman. And it's just, it's, it's about how do they make it work when all these weird things are happening around them. Um, and that, that's what I enjoy most about it. I like, you know, the weird, werewolf story and the weird underground vampire mermaid things you know there's there's these really cool because i'm not the hugest horror fan but he finds a way to make them very interesting i loved john constantine in this i've read very little constantine but i don't feel like i need to because i think yeah he was just you know he was perfect from the start (laughs) and i i love his arc and how he comes in and he's just a total jag off and he leads them on this weird adventure into well you'll get to the end soon (laughs) i am literally looking right now how much it costs to buy hellblazer but um (laughs) no because i was like i need i should buy it now um no i i think you really did hit a nail on the head in that it's not it's i mean it's horror it's superheroes it's kind of this more abstract um spiritual-ish type thing but Mm -hmm. it's not any of those completely but it balances all of those things really, really well. Like I'm not a big horror fan myself either. And it's just like it, it hits the horror notes that I want it to hit, but it also feels very superhero-y. And um, I, I really, there's this weird public awareness, like the, 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 the arc, did you read the arc with the, uh, the mansion that's haunted and like the, the yes, aspects yes. of slavery. And then yes. there's the one about the, the werewolf that wants to kill us. He just, yes he yeah he nails these uh uh yeah that, that kind of public awareness too so he he really just blends it all together and i i really well one thing i wonder how like how this would have been to read in singles because i mean these don't it's it's this is why i personally think that like all com- more comics need to be trades or miniseries because i don't personally i can't really get into ongoings anymore and I like, I can't get it. I don't think I could ever write one mm-hmm. just because like all the, all those stories that you just mentioned, the one with the mansion and slavery, the werewolf, the um, vampires they're they don't feel very related, but when you read the trade, you're like, okay, I get how all this is leading up to the deal with the um, brujeria, I think, whatever mm-hmm. they're called in South mm-hmm. America and crisis and, all of those things and how it's all tied together. But if I read them individually, I don't think I would really get that. And so, I mean, it's a, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's, it's just very weird. Um, but I do, I, one thing I really liked was I'm a big fan of um, the podcast. You made it weird with Pete Holmes and he gets onto a lot of like spiritual types of things. And I really feel like this is something that would be up his alley, um, especially the annual that's in, I don't have it right, the copyright with me, but it's in um, the second volume, I believe, where he, where Abby dies. Um, and 
he goes to the afterlife and he meets dead man he meets Etrick. he meets all those characters which is cool but um like the kid says it's not been so long since i was here last time and the idea of ramakushna just being a the phantom strange the specter is the phantom stranger the specter one of them's like ramakushna yeah it exists but it's not it's not god it's just part of it and yeah the specter just, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it calls them it's through someone the specter refers to them as presences and people choose where to go and we're all just being present and i don't know i just really like the the vibes of it just really like hit me um and then in another issue where um swamp things talking to abby and she says is that funny or sad and he says it's human yeah and it's just <laughs> so many of those notes just really hit me but one issue that i did want to shout out besides the annual that i just mentioned was um issue 34 right of spring and if i am correct give me two seconds I'm going to find it because it was really good. Um, issue 34. It's in volume two, Love and Death. It's the one where, um, oh, that's one that I didn't get. was the one with the um, little alien people. I don't understand what that was about. Yeah, that one was a little weird. <laughs> I don't I don't get it. It's called um, a filler issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they needed to pull one up. <laughs> um, okay, that's not the one I liked. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, the one where... Um, abby eats the um yam or whatever oh, it yeah. is i was gonna yeah. say you mentioned all that and you haven't mentioned the psychedelic eating yes <laughs> that that's the one that was like that one blew that one just blew my mind it was so adorable like you said the the romance part of it was so it's so great it's it's something i didn't know about when i before i read this yeah it catches you off guard because yeah you think it's going to be like, i don't know the swamp monster fighting uh, arcane and stuff and then all of a sudden he's he's having intimacy with his, his girlfriend by eating pieces that fell out and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then the story that comes out of that and what happens with the tubers after is, is hilarious and, and perfect. And, and just yeah. bizarre. I really, I really like that issue as well. The um, one where the two people both eat it and they both get different um, yeah. experiences. Yeah. Um, I, I, like you just said, the stuff with arcane. Um, I, 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 I like the, and this is part of the whole thing that Alan Moore did with Swamp Thing in general was he took, um, he took the the story, the character and like just completely redid it. It's mm -hmm. like I had to look up, but like the all the arcane and stuff with Matt Cable and all those things are things that had been happening in Swamp Thing comics for probably twenty years or whatever it's been. It had been since um, he was created, and um, I'm gonna fact check that because I think I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I think Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, uh, maybe, yeah, probably a handful of years at least, but I don't know how long it was not, to be honest with you. Because he kind of took over the dying series, you know? And I know it's a weird reason to like a series, but I like the idea of him being asked to take over. And then, like you said, to read this in single issues must have been bizarre. How did this book survive mm -hmm. under the radar and kind of make it to his whole story? Because there is a lot of weird things that happened, and I couldn't imagine. I wish I could transport back and yeah i mean that up off the shelf because even as at 14 15 i would have been like this is the worst book ever oh <laughs> yeah exactly like it's as a kid i would not have appreciated this um i can't find or the first issue was in 1971 um okay, so first time. appearance but that was... was as alex olsen technically alex Holland didn't stick him out to 1972 but like you oh, said wow, he goes yeah for 
this series, a Swamp Thing, Saga years? of the Swamp Thing. Um, yeah. Is it, was it 86 or 87 this came out? That's a long, at least a decade. Wow. Uh, 82. No. Um, hmm. Oh, apparently the alien character, this is according to Wikipedia, the alien character was a really, it's called Pogo. Okay. Cartoon, by cartoonist Walt Kelly from the 48 to 75. Okay. It was set in so the Okafenokee Swamp. It was a. Uh, it was an old uh, thing. Another that, old, yeah. yeah, another old thing that Alan Moore took and just reinvented. And it's yeah. it's it, that's impressive. Like he took, it's um, I can't remember who's do, who it is now. Um, not Swamp Thing. Um, somebody that I can't remember. They're taking. I'm garbage. I'm terrible at this. Um, this is a great podcasting, but like it, <laughs> writers do it now, where they take all these old, like. That's who Public was. domain Al, characters? No, Al Ewing. Like what he's doing in Immortal Hulk, where he's taking all these things from Hulk that have happened for since he was created, and he's tying it all together. Like I've heard that's, that's amazing. I got to read that. I I'm not read huge it. into Hulk, but I, I hear that's amazing. I haven't read it either. I haven't been reading ongoing comics forever, but <laughs> apparently, like it's it's just tying in all these old things from comics, and um, you know, it's it's stuff that's been done before, like um, Patsy Walker, Hellcat, how. Patsy Walker was a character um, mm-hmm. for years and then they reused her for Hellcat. And um, I think Nick Fury is a similar case, but mm-hmm. they take all these old things that I think Alan Moore just does a really, really, really good job of that, of taking these old ideas and just these kind of generic superhero ideas, just as hey, it's this monster lives in a swamp, he saves people, whatever, and turns it into this greater thing. Yep. And that's what he's continued to do. Many of his uh, his books are, are basically that. And obviously, the biggest one being Watchmen. But I was I just thought of yeah, Watchmen would be a very good example of that as well. It's several others. He he's done. Um, God, what is it? Providence. There he does a, a, a Lovecraftian one. He has now. Yeah, he that's pretty much kind of what he's done, especially later in his career. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so I it's guess a skill exactly. What were some of the? Um, is there anything in this that you think doesn't really hit? You know, I do wish that uh, I, I think all the artists were very good. You know, some stood out more, but there was some inconsistency in the art. Stephen Bissett doesn't get enough issues, although I might argue that Veach's, you know, some of his pages and images were even better. I mean, mm-hmm. the way he draws Swamp Thing. So maybe having them rotate more than some of the others. I mean, I think Toddlebond does a lot of the inks and holds it holds it together between a lot of the artists, but there was a couple missteps as far as the art but i understand it's it's monthly publications you know you gotta you gotta get the books out yeah maybe the bigger artists were doing other things too so Mm -hmm. you know that's probably my only misstep like you said there was a couple issues maybe that were over my head i didn't get the the references or he was pulling from something else i'm also not the hugest dc uh phonetic or anything so some of the lore went over my head Uh, i like etrigan and and and, um dead man and inspector but i don't really have a history with them so and you know even like the the villain in the first one that's the plant based guy or whatever uh, yeah woodrow i don't know his history woodrow um so some of that you know i would say if if i was being hypercritical were were slight misses for me but i still think Mm. you know over the totality of it still it makes it a perfect series for me i I don't i can't think of much else that i'd I'd put higher a few comics but yeah not too many I mean, that's, I mean, I, like you said, the inking really 
ties it all together as far as the art goes for me like it really carries over where like if you unless you're like paying attention the differences in the art doesn't always just jump out at you and be like ah you can tell like you know now like nowadays you know you can really you can tell a lot if they if someone has a really unique style and you can see like oh yeah there's this is the filler artist but yeah in this you can't really tell but i think it's due it is because they keep that inking going throughout um which version do you have do you have the trade paperbacks yes i have the trades so i i will say i read the originally read it digital and it was scans of of the original comics the newer ones while while good i will say if people are interested in this the the omnibuses do recolor it and i've had a couple of purist buddies <laughs> um you know say that they, they would never get the omnibuses because of that and and i do think that that adds some value to having more than one version around i'd love to go back and get the old issues and look at them i think just the heavy inks that they use would lend to that paper style back then it would look mm -hmm. really cool like if i was able to dig up the old back issues so there could be some value in like you know collecting those i'm not a huge collector anymore but yeah it's, it's interesting to see um yeah, over the, if a comic stays around long enough, you may see different versions of it. So that there, your your trades may be uh, printed in a different version than I have, even. So yeah, I was say, I don't even know. I know my volume one is a completely different format than the rest of them. Nineteen eighty seven is my volume one. The rest of them, I think, are all from the oh, same wow. series. From that's cool. So you got one of the older one yeah. of the you know at that time they weren't putting out a ton of exactly yeah paperback. So that's kind of cool too. The others are from about two thousand. I just saw. But um, I mean, my only thing that I didn't like was I guess I didn't like it just didn't hit for me or didn't work for me was just the I mean, the filler issues or what feel like filler issues like the the vampires and the the werewolf and the the slavery like they're good issues, but they just don't they felt like a sidetrack. You know what I mean? Like you just felt mm -hmm. like let's just get back to the thing. Like I just want to see Swamp Thing do the thing. <laughs> but they're maybe good. they gave him something to do because maybe editorial was like well you know it's not yeah. enough action or not exactly <laughs> exactly well we need more horror and so they're like oh, i was put vampires in it i don't do whatever underwater but, um, vampires and underwater vampires <laughs> yeah um i guess one thing we didn't really talk about very much was um constantine i don't know if you have anything you want to say about that about him again this. i've i've read very very little constantine uh one of my good buddies is a huge constantine fan i've read the garth innis run which was amazing a couple other stories and then this and and it's almost the same as swamp thing because i i've read a little swamp thing i read um scott snyder's run on it uh which was really good some other odds and ends but it's almost like when somebody does it so well it's hard to even want to branch out you know but i really like constantine as a character despite him honestly being the opposite of what i i think i would like in a character because he's mm -hmm. just so purposely aloof and obnoxious and and and, and all that but he uh I don't know so something works with his 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 Britishness and his uh his cast of characters that are around him. Uh, he's he's a character I still need to really hunt down more key stories of his. I I think he he's like Jonah Hex to me. Like he he I feel like anybody with a good story could really nail Constantine pretty easily, and he, it would be enjoyable to me. Mm -hmm. Do you do you? I don't know how familiar you are with like the some of the tv shows do you i i hear i hear out um matt ryan from legends of tomorrow and like arrow and all those shows and the constantine nbc show that's who do you hear that voice too or is that just me well i have not watched that so i unfortunately uh, still hear uh you don't Keanu hear, Keanu, voice. You hear Keanu. <laughs> i mean i hear the english but i can't help but go back to 
yeah. Keanu Reeves, which I did enjoy the movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, but... I was going to say, it's not that bad. I don't understand <laughs> no. why. It's, it's people hate it. Good. Yeah, I know. I, it, I just it, hear the same voice, though. Yeah, It didn't get the accent or the look, but it got the feel. Like, it, he's a very dirty, grimy spirit, you know, supernatural. And yeah. I think they nailed that. And yeah, what, I was going to say, one of the and... best things that I've seen about it was someone said, it's a good movie. It's just not Constantine. And like, I was going to say, I, I agree with that. But yeah. it's, that's the problem that like a lot of people have, you know, with superhero movies in general is like it just because it's not like the comic like, oh, it's garbage. Well, no, it's a good movie. It's just not like you wanted it to be. But yeah, um, I do think he, he's one of the ones where I might defend that being British is really part of his, his yeah, core yeah. self and where he lives and everything. So maybe. But yeah, that'd be like Swamp Thing. I don't know. Being in Lake Michigan instead of Louisiana would be a little weird. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Would that really change it? I don't know that would. I mean, I other. I mean, There's more pollution I, up here. He'd not be happy. Yeah. Well, I guess the sw- I guess yeah. There is not. There's not really any swamps in Michigan. I guess. I guess that was stupid. But um, no. I mean, you're right. The um, I mean, swamp thing. It's just that. Oh, that is one detail that I like about swamp thing. That's what made me think of um, was how he whenever he goes somewhere else, he kind of changes with that vegetation. And I know that's something that Scott Snyder did in his run, I believe. Mm-hmm. That he um, the swamp thing can he he's not always the same. I mean, he has the same basic features like the nose and everything is all the same and the eyes, but he, he changes based on the environment he's in, which I, I really like. I really think that's a cool detail. Yeah. That was a really cool part of the story. Um, I get, do you have any more thoughts about Swamp Thing or anything? No, I'm sure, you know, many other people who've read it 50 times have a, a much more in-depth thoughts than, than I am, but I, I kind of like it at base level as a weird, romance comic and you know i'd be excited you know you follow up uh you know hit me up on twitter or whatever let me know i i it's as much as you've described you like it i think you're really going to love the ending but i I, uh i'm definitely going to be reading the rest of it through that romance lens like you mentioned (laughs) and so i'm definitely going to be seeing that the rest of the time i go i'm gonna i'm gonna see it through that that way and it's gonna really i I hope i think it'll because it's already changed how i how now that i'm thinking about what i've already read i'm like oh yeah that does really adds a whole dimension to it and i think that's a really good deal um so i mean that's all i have for you john um where can people find you find your work anything like that well how we met i'm i'm anti underscore drummer on twitter but uh it's easier to find me i'm part-time comics with an x on twitter on facebook on instagram so if people want to find the company account that's the easiest way but uh i i am on twitter a lot uh as you see so yeah and then um (laughs) You ha- so then on the stack and CPS, are they both coming out at about the same time? Yep. But by the time this episode goes up, they've been up for pre- pre-order. And if you order them uh, in early July, I-, I will definitely be shipping them in the first few weeks of July. They- the on the stack should be in any day now. And uh, CPS, I have a huge, huge supply, boxes and boxes. I way over-ordered, got excited, and blew my whole mm-hmm. budget on, on over-printing. So please... If anybody wants to order, we still have a bunch of free stickers from the Kickstarter and stuff. Uh, I'd be happy to ship them out to anybody. Yeah. And um, where can we find, where can they find those books? And those are at uh, storeenvy.com forward slash part-time comics. Okay. Awesome. Um, We, um, where am I at? Okay. Uh, you can go ahead and find Foreign Press Comics on Twitter at FPress Comics. You can find us on Instagram at Foreign Press Comics. We're also on Facebook, but we don't really get on there very much. Um, we do want to say that by when this episode comes out, we will have our Kickstarter will be up for pre-launch for Fletcher Cross the Multiverse Awaits. You'll have already heard an ad for it by now, but 
it will be the pre-launch will be out by this by the time this episode comes out and we will also go ahead and go to foreignpresscomics.com we have our webcomic outlaw country we have um you can buy my comics terminal that i think i mentioned earlier you can buy sleep sister sleep by ian vanderwalt um there's a lot more stuff coming also sign up for the email list because sometimes i do give out discounts and free stuff on there so um all right john it's been great having you on i appreciate it yeah absolutely thanks for talking to me take care yep